Bibles, turn with me tonight to the book of Mark, chapter 5, and verse 22. I want God to have his way in me, but I don't want to be selfish with it. I want God to have his way through me. Well, what is his way? What is his will? We pray, God, I want to know your will. I want to be in your will. At the very basis of God's will is this simple ideal that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if I really want to be in God's will, I'm going to operate in that ideal. I'm going to operate in that thought process of, I want to find somebody to bring to repentance. Mark 5, 22. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, or Jairus, Pecan, Pecan, Pecan. You can call him Jarius or Jairus or Jairus or J Dog, the big J. By name, when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly saying my little daughter lieth at the point of death this is not a quiet prayer this is not a quiet plea this is not a hey I've got 10 minutes what can you do for me I pray thee come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live if I can just get Jesus into the house if I can just get Jesus into the room where she is at and he will lay his hands on her I know she can be healed and I know that she will live she shall live verse 24 and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him Verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? She's dead. Why are you still praying? It's hopeless. Why are you still here? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Only believe. The Holy Ghost wants to speak to us tonight what fear couldn't see what fear couldn't see. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. In the name of Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. God, I praise you for every one of these saints of God that are here tonight. I thank you for them, and I thank you that they are here. I thank you that they are part of this body, that they are part of your kingdom in this place. God, they've been placed here for a certain purpose. They have been born into this time for a reason. We're not here by chance. You don't do anything by chance. But God, you are here for a purpose. You are with us tonight. We believe it, God. You want to use us. You want to operate. You want to move in each and every life represented here. God, I pray that your word would not return void, but God, that it would prick the heart of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in this place tonight. God, that it would travel beyond these four walls into our city. God, that there would be souls resurrected in this city tonight. In Jesus' name, why don't you clap your hands under the Lord?
Jesus' name. You can be seated. What fear could not see. Find Mark 5, uh, two very, very familiar portions of Scripture. It's one portion of Scripture. There's two, at least two main themes and two main miracles that we find in Mark chapter 5. The first one begins with Jesus in a crowd. We're, we're going to touch on but not preach about the other miracle. We find Jesus in a crowd. There, there is a multitude around him. There are people that want to hear his words. They want to see him work. They want to watch him move. They want even maybe just perhaps they want him to look their way. Perhaps he might, maybe he will look at my situation and have mercy on me. Perhaps he would, maybe if I could just get his attention, if I could just press in close to him, if I could just get by the disciples, if I could slip past Simon Peter, if I could maybe step on Judas's toe and tell him that he dropped a dollar, that I could get by to get closer to Jesus. And so the multitude is there and they are wanting to get closer to him. They are uh, pressing on him. We know the language very well. The multitude is thronging him. They are grasping at him. They are pushing upon him. His disciples have arranged themselves around him almost like a bodyguard detail to keep the crowd at bay. If they don't let Jesus through, we're, we're going to be here all day and all night because there's a crowd everywhere Jesus is at. I wish that was still the case in today's day and age. I wish they would throng to the church like they did to Jesus. I believe it's coming. I believe the day is quickly approaching. But we find in Mark chapter 5 that they are beseeching him or besought him greatly. Jairus does. And he's saying, I've got a need. I've come. I'm a ruler of the synagogue. And what the law has not been able to do I need you to do. What the 300 and some rules that the Pharisees added were not able to do, I need you to do. And Jairus comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and besought him greatly saying, I've got a little girl at home who is lying at the point of death. Doctors have done all they can do. It is hopeless without a miracle. And so Lord, I pray you, I am begging you, I need you to come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. We find a, a theme here in verse 23, the fact that Jairus understands if I can get Jesus to lay his hands on her, there will be a transfer of divine anointing. There will be a transfer of power from Jesus, the embodied Messiah, God incarnate, God manifest in the flesh, whether Jairus knew everything about who the Messiah was, whether or not he had a revelation of who Jesus really was, he understood uh, that there is uh, the divine power. Like Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No doubt Jairus is running in the same circle of influence. He understands we know that you are unlike anybody else that we have seen up to this point. We've had prophets before, but they've not been of this nature. We've had men of God before. We've had preachers before. But even John the Baptist in his camel's hair, eating his locusts and wild honey was not like this. He was different than the rest. But he said, there's one coming after me who is mightier than I. He said, I understand 
understand, Lord, that you are mightier, you are greater, you are more strong, you are more powerful. There is something different about you. And I understand if you would just come and lay your hands on my little girl. So the theme is that when Jesus would lay his hand on this little girl, Jarius understands something can happen. There can be a transfer. And so Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. This father believed that while my daughter is lying at the point of death, you can pray. And if you pray while she's at the point of death, she can be healed and she can live. Because I know that you are healer. Between verse 24 and verse 35, we find another theme. We find a woman who the Bible says has an issue of blood. She's been to the doctor. She spent all that she's had. I believe it was 12 years. She had gone and she had been plagued by this medical condition. It was a condition we understand that kept her separate from everybody else. It not only kept her separate from her family and her loved ones, it kept her separate from the entire population. She was alone. She was isolated. She was in quarantine for 12 years. Years. She could not be around anybody. Cost her everything. Now she's hanging on to her sanity by a thread. Knowing that everything else that I have tried has failed. So we find her using the last bit of strength that she has. And pressing her way through this crowd that we already know is thronging Jesus. Jesus is on his way to the house of this synagogue leader. He's on his way to go pray for a little girl who is at the point of death. And uh, we, we find him going to pray with the understanding of this little girl's dad that if you will lay your hands on him, that there, or if you can lay your hands on my little girl, that there is healing virtue that will happen. If you would lay your hands on my baby, if you could just bring her back from that point, I know that if I can get you to where she is, then I know that you'll move and she'll live. But now we find the woman with an issue of blood who said, you know what? I'm not even worthy to have you lay your hands on me, but I can just believe enough that if I can just touch the hem of your garment, Lord, I don't need you to reach out and touch me, but God, if I can reach out and touch you, I believe that you've got what I need. I believe that what 12 years and doctors and physicians could not do by the laying on of hands, by the application of medicinal purposes medicinal practices without the antibiotics what they could not do God I believe I don't even need to touch your body but if I can just touch your robe if I can just touch the hem of your garment Lord I know Jairus believes that you can lay your hands on his little girl but God I'm not even worthy of that so if I could just touch you there's another theme here that when I don't believe that God can reach down and touch me if I can get myself into a place where I can reach out and touch him all of that's going on he stops and he says, who touched me? And they said, Lord, really? I mean, there's smart Alex Simon Peter. You have got to be kidding me. Looks over to Andrew like, I quit fishing for this. 
James and John saying, my Lord, if they're not touching you, they're touching me. God, i got hands in my face. and They're blocking. They're trying to get to you. They want to touch you. Everybody is touching you. He said, no. There's something different about that touch. It's one thing to just come into the house of God and say, oh man, I really felt the presence of the Lord today. It's one thing to have the hair on the back of your neck stand up and say, oh man, isn't it good? I just want to go back to CLT and see if I can still feel that. Backsliders, for as long as there has ever been a backslider, have come back to the church just to test the waters to see if they can still feel. Everybody's feeling. You can't possibly be in an atmosphere like this and just walk away without feeling anything. He said, I understand all of that, but that's not the kind of touch that I am referring to. I'm telling you that somebody reached out and touched me to the point that I felt virtue flow out. I know I was expecting that to happen at the house with a sick young lady. I know I was expecting to feel a moving of the Holy Ghost. I was expecting to feel a divine move when I get to where I'm going but let me preach to you tonight that as the Lord is going about his business you can reach out and make him feel your prayers the Bible says he's touched by the feeling of our infirmities I don't see it I don't see this hair that's stuck in my sleeve. But I know it's there because I can feel it. God's saying, you know, I, I, I know that you don't see how it's going to work out. So all of this is going on. While Jesus is still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood. Here comes a servant, a messenger. Maybe a family member. Regardless, the bearer of bad news. I mean, they say it loud enough that three of the Gospels recorded. Why are you bothering him? She just died. Really? Why troublest thou the master any further? They said it loud enough that verse 36 says it was not just the disciples who were standing out a little ways trying to control the crowd that heard it. When Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid. I know that's your first reaction. I know that your paternal instinct I know that the Father in you is instantly afraid, is instantly questioning whether or not I could have gotten here faster. Maybe if I had brought another horse, maybe if I had worn another pair of sandals, maybe if I had put on my Nike sandals instead of my Puma sandals, I would have gotten here a little faster. Maybe if I had worn a different pair of socks. Maybe if I had gotten to the church five minutes earlier to pray. Maybe this or maybe that. I know that's your first instinct, but the Lord turns and looks at that man and says, don't fear. 
Be not afraid. Only believe. I know right now that fear wants to cloud your vision. But I'm telling you that what fear cannot see is still possible. Maybe if Jesus had moved a little faster. Maybe if sister issue of blood had just waited on her porch. Jesus wouldn't have been stuck in the crowd. Maybe if he hadn't performed a miracle on the way to another miracle, things would have been different. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. It wasn't something that was quiet. It was something that was well-known. They had the professional grievers there. They were weeping. They were crying. They were screaming. They were screeching. They were rolling on the ground. They were throwing dust in the air, stripping off their outer coats and putting on sackcloth and ashes. This is what Jairus walks into his yard to see. And this is what Jesus walks up to see. Perhaps he left the other nine disciples back to hold the crowd back so he could get away. But he and Peter and James and John walk in. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado? The original language literally means, why are you disturbing it so greatly? Why are you terrified? Why are you so stricken with panic? You have been overcome with agitation of your mind. You're making a noisy upheaval. Why? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. He just took the end of their world. He just took their basket of broken dreams. He just took their grief and their sorrow and minimized it down to the point of she's just asleep. Why are you wailing? Why are you so stricken? She's just asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talithae, Kumai, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. Notice that the, the gospel according uh, to Mark is the only gospel that records her age. I find it interesting. I don't know if it means anything, but she was born when the woman with the issue of blood discovers that she's got an issue and for 12 years she's been living her life going from doctor to doctor and the Lord it took 12 years for her to get to where Jesus was at in order for Jesus to perform the miracle and now this young lady has lived the same amount of time in perfect health and now she's got an issue that's caused her to cross from life into death and the Lord is saying listen it doesn't matter how long you've lived with it or 
how suddenly it's come upon you. I'm the God who can deal with what you've been living with. And I'm the God who can deal with what you didn't expect. But fear doesn't see that. Fear only sees brokenness. Fear only sees distress. Fear only sees the ado. Fear only sees the devastation. Fear only sees the disease. Jesus walked in to that young lady's room. With her mother and her father, Peter, James, and John. And what fear couldn't see, those five spectators saw. This is the first occurrence. Mark chapter 5 is the first, first time that Mark mentions the fact that Jesus takes Peter and James and John and takes them to where the other apostles were not able to go. We find it again in Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. After six days, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John and leads them up into a high mountain apart by themselves and was transfigured before them. Mark chapter 9 and verse 2 refers to what we now understand or we now call and what it was called from that point forward, the Mount of Transfiguration. And they see God in His glory. They begin to see Him unlike anything that they have seen Him before. They begin to have an understanding that He's more than just a teacher come from God. They begin to see Him. One writer says that His face shone bright white. They didn't have... They didn't have the, uh, the ability to describe everything that they saw. They said his clothes changed. He was whiter than any fuller or any cleaner could polish. He was, he was whiter than anybody could soap. He was whiter. He was more pure. They saw him in his purity. They saw him standing there with Moses and Elias. And they began to get a revelation that he was God more than just a, uh, he was more than just a man in the flesh, but he was God of two testaments. They began to understand and it was Peter and James and John that he had taken a little bit further. We find later on at the end of his earthly ministry or towards the end before his crucifixion that as they there are there in the garden of Gethsemane he takes uh, eight of the disciples. Uh, Judas isn't there and he leaves eight of them and he takes Peter and James and John and he goes a little bit further and he prays and he asks them to pray. What was it about Peter and James and John uh, that would cause Jesus to take them places that others were not allowed to go? We understand that the Lord is no respecter of persons. We understand that God loves everyone the same. But while God is no respecter of persons, he is a respecter of allegiance. I said God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of allegiance. And he will operate in my life in direct proportion to the amount that I will operate in his life. If I'm just going to live for God a little bit, then I'm only going to see a little bit of the kingdom. But the more I'm willing to pour out and the more I'm willing to give over to God, then the more he's willing to let me see, let me preach to you tonight that being born of the water and of the spirit just gets you inside the door but how much do you want are you willing are you desiring to see what fear cannot see Luke chapter 8 verse 49 is another record the miracle that Jesus performed for Jairus' daughter. Verse 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, only, I'm sorry, believe only, and she shall be made whole. 
she shall be made whole. When he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter, James, and John, the father and the mother of the maiden. All wept. Everybody bewailed her. But he said, weep not. She's not dead, but she sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Their fear could not allow them to see the situation in faith. He put them all out and he took her by the hand and called saying, Maid, arise. Her spirit came again. Understand that. That means that her spirit had left her earthly body, but it came again and she arose straightway and he commanded to give her meat. He was saying, listen, she's alive and now you got to feed her. She's alive and now you got to make sure that your miracle is sustained. You got to make sure I brought her back to life. The sickness is no longer. She's been made whole. Now you need to make sure that she remains in her strength now you need to understand that what fear said was not possible God said it is possible and God said not only is she going to live you're going to feed that girl you're going to watch that young lady grow you're going to watch her strength return they were afraid that it was over they were afraid they lost their daughter they were afraid they lost a friend they were afraid they lost a sister they were afraid they lost a cousin they were afraid they had lost afraid over fear and reaction couldn't see past the obvious you see fear destroys faith Fear can even go so far as to prevent the demonstration of God's power 1 John 4.18 says that fear hath torment. Fear is debilitating. Fear is blinding. But Jesus saw what fear could not see. And it was more than just a cute little story about how God answered the prayers of a parent. It was more than a one-time occurrence. It was something that impacted every single individual that was inside that room. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Pastor, how can you see that? Pastor, how can you validate the fact that God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of allegiance? Because we can flip over in our Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 9 and verse 36. Now there was at Joppa, mind you, Talking about the apostle Peter. There was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Don't you love Bible names? This woman was full of good works and alms seeds or good deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lida was nigh to Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there in Joppa, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him. And they are weeping. And they're showing Peter the coats, the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Oh, you need a coat, honey. Let me give you a coat. Let me make you a coat. She was everybody's mother. She was everybody's grandma. She's making them stuff. She's passing it out. She's, she's giving of her abundance or lack thereof. And, and she is, she's done so many good things and now Peter is come and Peter uh, under normal circumstances uh, they I don't believe that they were expecting uh, Peter to come in and uh and perform a miracle but they were just wanting a preacher there to perform a funeral and when he gets up there they're showing him all of these things that she had made what are we going to do now we've lost a benefactor we've lost a sister in the kingdom what are we going to do now she's passed away she's passed on didn't God know what she was to us didn't God know wow and they're, they're having a hard time seeing past their fear but 
Peter in verse 40 puts them all forth and he kneels down and Peter begins to pray and turning him to the body he says Tabitha arise literally in the Aramaic it is one letter different from what he heard Jesus say in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus said Talithae kumai he has said damsel I say unto thee arise but uh, the apostle Peter says Tabitha or Tabitha kumai Tabitha I'm telling you arise it's time to get up Peter begins to see what fear could not see Peter begins to understand what the widows and the church folk in the hallway could not see because he remembered a place where he had been willing to go a little bit further than everybody else was willing to go he saw a miracle that not everybody else had been privy to and what fear could not see Peter was able get the picture of her laying there peacefully. They've already begun preparing her for burial. They washed her face. They wash her body. They clean off residue of whatever sickness or disease had taken her. Whatever the occasion was. And in between the washing of the body and the anointing of the body with the oil and the spices, Peter shows up. She's laying there with her eyes closed. And Peter walks in and he's saying, Lord, in his spirit, I believe he's having flashbacks as he walks up the stairs and he hears the sounds. And he hears the crying that's justified. He can feel the debilitating atmosphere of uncertainty. before he crosses that threshold. He looks around and he says, everybody needs to leave. Pete, what are you doing? I've seen some things that fear can't see. I've been some places that fear could not go. And he kneels down on the ground, on the floor. Never once do you see Jesus Christ kneeling to perform a miracle. But now we understand Peter saying, Lord, I know I'm not God, but I have seen some things. And so, Lord, not for my sake, But God, I remember what you said. You said in greater works than these shall ye do. Lord, I remember that you commissioned us to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You commissioned us to spread the news of the gospel throughout the world. And you said these signs shall follow them that believe. I just came from preaching a revival and God, I believe. But help my unbelief. I want to see what fear cannot see. And as it He's there in his place of prayer and he looks over at Tabitha and he said, Lord, if it worked for you, I wonder if it'll work for me. It started with prayer. It started with making sure I got fear and doubt out of the room. I want to make sure fear and doubt are out of my life, are out of my heart, are out of my mind. And Peter's saying, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good right now. Tabitha! Arise. 
one letter different. Tabitha, I say unto thee, arise. And she opened her eyes. And she looks over. And they lock eyes. And she sits up. And he gave her his hand. He's remembering. I remember what the damsel did. He said, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And then he took her by the hand. She opened her eyes. And she sat up. And he grabs her by the hand. And he says, Tabitha, we're having revival. We're seeing some things that fear cannot see. And then he said, watch this. Hey, y'all. You can come in. I wonder who opened the door first. The Bible says it was the saints and the widows. And all of a sudden now, they're seeing something that fear could not see. Fear said it's over. Intimidation said it's done. But God doesn't see what fear and intimidation see. And presented her alive. If I was Peter, I would have said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, I present unto you in this upper chamber of Lydda, some 30 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand to your feet and clap your hands, and let's make some noise for Sister Tabitha back from the dead. Are you ready to crochet? Presented her alive. I present to you the woman of God whom fear said was gone forever. I present unto you the woman of God, the benefactor who had blessed you before and will bless you again. I present unto you the woman of God whom God has raised from the dead. It was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. If she had ever been a blessing to the church before, what God did through her, for her, and to her, multiplied the church forward. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner. And in the very next chapter, I believe that God used what fear couldn't see in that upper chamber to, to open Peter's eye. And then when Peter was sitting on top of Simon the Tanner's roof and he's praying while everybody else is getting ready to eat that there's a sheet that comes down. Rise, Peter. You just told, uh, you just told Tabitha to arise. Now you rise. You slay and you eat. Oh, Lord, I can't do that. There's like 341 I think that number's wrong, but it's over 300. There's like 341 rules about what we Jews can eat and what we can't eat and how we act at the table and what we do and what we don't do with our food. I, I can't, I've never done, I've never transgressed against the law of our food. I'm not going to do it now. No, Peter, that's your, that's the fear of breaking tradition that's speaking to you. But what fear cannot see, God can see and the sheet rises and the sheet comes down and it rises and it comes down and, the, and then the Lord begins to speak to Peter listen Peter there's going to be some men that knock on the door whatever they say you go with them I'm with you I'm getting ready to open up a door under the Gentiles what fear can't see God says you can see it you can 
have it. But Peter, you got to make up your mind. I say unto thee, arise. I'm sticking with the plan. I'm sticking with the example that I saw Jesus do. I'm sticking with the master's example. I'm doing what I know has worked before. Peter didn't try to go find a new fresh batch of incense and light it on fire and run around the room seven times and scream and yell and stand on his head and then say, hey, Tabitha, why don't you wake up? He didn't sprinkle her forehead with bacon grease and say, man, if you won't live for that, you won't live for anything. He didn't try some newfangled worship song. He didn't stand on his head and hum kumbaya three times. He didn't say, man, if I could just lick my elbow, she might just get up. No. He didn't say, you know what, I've got to pray this certain way, this new way that I heard. You know, I heard something from over here, over on this radio station or this television channel or this YouTube influencer or whatever they're called or this social media site. Let me try this. Let me try this. No, Peter said, you know what fear couldn't see? I've seen before and I've got an example that I can follow. And the example is the first thing that the Lord said is fear, you've got to stop. Fear, you've got to stop in your tracks. Peter, remember what he had seen that only four others, aside from Jesus, had seen. He chose to operate in what fear said he could not operate in. Well, what will they say if I act like Jesus? What will they say if I command all of them to go out and they start remembering that this is what the Christ had done at Jairus' house? What will they think of me? How will they look at me? What will they think that I'm trying to do or I'm trying to pull? He thinks he's like Jesus, the master? Oh, Peter, no. No, Peter, you got to stop that. If he had allowed that to happen, he would have only seen what fear could see. He would have prepared a sermon for a funeral instead of praying for a resurrection if I only allow myself to go as far as what fear dictates to me I'll only ever be a name on a page somewhere I'll only ever be a fond memory I'll only ever be just a a dust pile somewhere in a corner but God is wanting to know how will you respond how will you choose to operate notice the saints and the widows they say hey listen look what she made us She was so good to us. She was so special. Peter could have stopped and begun reminiscing. Peter could have stopped and allowed the memory of who his sister in Christ, Tabitha, had been to dominate the conversation. And said, he says, stop. We're not talking about that. We're not going there. Well, well, why? Because I'm not going to only see what fear lets me see. And so he sends them away and steps into the room and closes the door and begins to remember a time when his Lord had faced a situation just like that. How did Jesus respond to the situation? 
he begins to hear the words of the Christ playing in his mind, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead. Lord, I believe in the resurrection at the second coming, but Martha, do you believe that it can happen right now? Or are you just, oh, Lord, if you had been here, you could have laid hands on him and you could have healed him. Oh, yes, I know. But I know you believed that I was the healer, but do you believe I'm the resurrection? I know the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection at all in this life or the next. But do you believe? What do you see? What do you want? I know what the crowd says, but are you willing to go a little bit farther? Are you willing to look fear in the face and say, I refuse to give in to fear. I refuse. I will believe. I will believe. I will believe. Peter, remember that Jesus had stopped doubt and unbelief the moment that it came. Well, I just don't know if I'm, uh, if I'm able to, to talk to anybody. I don't know if I'm able to teach a Bible study. Oh, that's what the crowd says. I, don't, I just don't know if winning souls is for me. That's what the crowd says. I just don't know if I can pray like that. That is what the crowd says. I just, uh, you know, I believe if the Lord reaches out and touches me, then I'll respond. But that's what the crowd says. I, I, I just don't, I, I just want to get a, just a little passing glance. I just want to know that he's still there. I just want to know that I, 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 I can still feel him. I just want to know that I can still get in the moment. I can still have those moments. But am I willing to reach out and touch him? when everything else is pushing down on me, when everything else is trying to suffocate me, or will I only see what fear allows me to see? Peter said, I'm going to choose to follow the example that was set before me. believe that Jesus allowed Peter to come with him because he's a God who knows all. And he knew that in Acts chapter 9, in the city of Lydda, Peter was going to be in Joppa, which is just a short little jaunt over there. And if Peter can get to where Tabitha's body is laying, then I believe that Peter is going to look beyond what fear and intimidation say. You've seen miracles. Why? Why has God allowed you to see miracles? Why has God allowed you to participate in explosive moves of the Holy Ghost? Because there is going to be a day and a time when nobody else has experienced it and all they can see is the fear and intimidation. When all they can see is hopelessness. When all they can see is brokenness. When all they can see is pointlessness. God is wanting a man or a woman who can stand up from the crowd and say, oh no, I've seen some things. I've been with the Lord some places. I remember what it was like that night in that prayer room. I remember what it was like that time in that hospital room. I remember what it was like that day on outreach. I remember what it was like that day in that nursing home. I remember what it was like when the Lord said, I need somebody to work a miracle. I need somebody to be a willing vessel. I need somebody that can move with the Spirit. I need somebody that can be sensitive. And you're going to be there. And they're going to call for you. And you're to say you know what I've been some places and I've seen some things and I can see beyond the obvious I know that the obvious says it's hopeless
who's trying, I know the obvious says they're drunk. I know the obvious says they're high. I know the obvious says they're messed up. I know the obvious says they're broken, but what my spirit says, what faith says, is that beyond what fear and the obvious can see, is that there's a soul that God wants to resurrect. There's a soul that God wants to use. But am I willing to just go as far as the crowd goes? And just live in the mundane, normal, boring, struggle through everyday reality. Or is there something inside of me that says, if they only want to go three steps, I'll go four. God, if you ask me to run one mile, I'll run two. I want to be the kind of man of God. I want to be the kind of Christian that says, you know what? I know that fear says it's not possible. I know fear says that we can't see it. But God, I've seen you move. I've seen you move mountains before. I believe you'll do it again. I've watched you heal sickness before. I believe you'll do it again. I said, I'll believe you'll do it again. You'll do it again. You'll do it again. I know the obvious just says, oh, just pray for them and move on. John 14 and verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. Musicians, come. I'm almost done. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus is including the disciples in the plan for redeeming the world. He's saying, listen, you're going to carry on this ministry of reconciliation after I have been glorified. But that does not stop with that generation. Holy Ghost outpouring did not stop on the day of Pentecost. It did not stop with 120. It didn't stop with 3,000. It didn't stop with 5,000. It didn't stop with 80-some thousand in Corinth. It did not stop with that generation. But the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So if we believe that the Holy Ghost is no longer being outpoured or being poured out, then we, we shouldn't believe that God's calling anybody either. If we don't believe that the miraculous is taking place, then we shouldn't be preaching the, the Acts 2.38 gospel message. Because the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the remission of sins and living a repentant life is miraculous. If you've experienced that, you have experienced a miracle. And so you can look at that, that person in the store, you can look at that person on outreach, and you can know because you've seen it before that God can do it for them. But you have to be able and willing to look beyond what fear can see. You've got to be able to look beyond that debilitating feeling, that crippling mindset that says, what are they going to think of me? Managers text me the other day and get me some a gift card for selling the most in the second quarter. Asked me what my favorite restaurant was and my wife's favorite restaurant. And I told him. But then I said, you know what? In lieu of a gift card to Baker Street, 
I just went and bought it myself anyway. Baker Street, not the gift card. I said, why don't you just bring your kids to VBS on Sunday? That would be more than enough payment. Well, what are they going to think? I don't really care. They had an excuse, but they're without excuse now. Well, what, what if they say no? What if they say yes? What if they don't want it, Pastor? But what if they do? What if they don't want the Holy Ghost? But what if they do? What if they don't want to live for God? But what if they do? What if God doesn't what if God doesn't move? He will. What if they don't move? What if they do? What if they talk about me? What if they don't? What if they tell my co-workers? What if they get the Holy Ghost and then go tell your co-workers? Then we don't care if they're talking to our co-workers, do we? I got to get beyond the point of, I just want to control the, the, the circumstance and the outcome. I, that's, that's living in fear. That's living in bondage. And, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I don't have to live in fear. But there is an example that has been set behind me and put before me that God said, this is what we do. We walk into places full of hopelessness and we preach hope and we spread light in darkness. The darkness is not going to understand it, but it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. Come on. Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to move beyond where the crowd is at? There is no doubt. 